stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. Welcome to Administrative Static. Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchioni with you as always, fresh off of, and this isn't always true, fresh <laughs> off of oral argument at the United States Supreme Court, uh, where we were honored to, to sit at council table and represent uh, our clients, uh, Relentless, uh, Huntress, and Seafreeze in front of the Supreme Court, where we are trying to get the court to uh, set aside the Chevron Doctrine, which for 40 years has told federal judges that they have to defer to the reasonable interpretations of statutes uh, when uh, they're made by uh, regulatory agencies. And here to talk with us, and we're very excited about this, here to talk with us about the oral argument uh, is uh, Megan Lapp, uh, who is a representative of our client, Seafreeze. Megan, welcome to Administrative Static. Thanks for having me on. So maybe I'll just start, uh, Megan. What was your impression of the Supreme Court? And I think you said you hadn't, hadn't been there before. Yeah, no, I had never actually been in the building. I've walked by it many times, um, never been in. It was very, very impressive. Um, and it was it was amazing how packed the room was. Everybody, you know, it seemed this this was the focus of Washington, D.C. for the day. Yeah. Um, everybody was interested in this. Like the bartenders were talking about this, you know. <laughs> um, and so that, that I was impressed by. Um, I was also really impressed by the fact that, you know, both Justice Kavanaugh um, and Justice Alito talked about really how this whole Chevron deference doctrine makes a disparity in the kinds of cases and the kinds of justice that you get. You know, if you're a citizen suing the citizen, you have a lot more chance of winning than if you're a citizen suing the government. And... You know, that impressed me because as we walked into the Supreme Court, you know, over the court itself, it says equal justice under law. And I pointed to, you know, Kara, who was walking me in. And I was like, yeah, that would be nice. That would really yeah. be nice. And the fact that the that the justices acknowledged that, that there's not equal justice under the law, depending on who you're suing, um, I think that was a very, very big deal. And I was I was actually surprised that they said it so blatantly. Yeah, it's an I think it's an important undercurrent in the case that 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 is the problem. There is this sort of due process of law problem that if uh, if Chevron is allowed to persist, uh, companies like uh, like Relentless will continue to be uh, at a disadvantage in lawsuits with NOAA or any other government agency that regulates them. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Were you? Uh, what was it? What did you think about seeing all nine justices uh, up there hearing your case? Was that? Was that something to see? You know, it's it's still hitting me. It's still hitting me. You know, like yesterday I was really just trying to like listen into what they were saying and try to figure out, you know, what their line of reasoning was and stuff. And kind of today I'm sitting back going like, we were at the Supreme Court. Like they were hearing our case yesterday. Like it's it's going to take a little while to sink in, I think. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that, that really happened. And now, you know, we'll get a decision by uh, by the end of June and, and uh, hopefully it will be a, a, a good decision. 
Was there anything that, that surprised you or that jumped, jumped out at you in the argument that uh, maybe something you really liked or something that rubbed you the wrong way? Um, a couple things. I think, you know, Justice Gorsuch really hit the issue home when he talked about how this affects real people. And I think that, you know, when you go to the Supreme Court, like you're listening to the arguments, they're talking about, you know, like legal theory, right? Like they're, they're talking about, they're focused on these big picture issues and they're, they're really focused on, um, you know, in this case, obviously the Chevron deference, but what they didn't really get into is, you know, how this affects real people. Like we have law because of people, you know, and when laws are implemented or laws are enforced, they affect people. And the way that they affect people is just as important, if not more important than the theory itself, and, you know? And, and that, that statement of Gorsuch's, I think it's kind of going viral. I've seen it everywhere. And what he said was um, that at, I think what niggles at us, I think it's the word he used, um, as appellate judges below, and what I'm seeing from them is that the agencies are never captured. The veterans or organization is never captured by the veterans. The, the social security disability is not captured by those with disabilities. The immigrant doesn't capture you know, HHS, it's all these vulnerable people who are always going to have the law applied against them under Chevron. And that statement, I think I've almost directly quoted it. I see it everywhere. And I think it's very powerful for that exact reason you said, Megan, because this is how actual people are affected who aren't running the show. Right, right. It's, it's how does this affect the little guy? The little guy is always at a disadvantage. And I think that bringing that into the conversations, like, Super, super important. And it is funny to me because when we got the briefs that were in support of the government from the various organizations that were in support of the government, I said, these are the agency capture briefs. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Well, you know, there's an old saying that you can't fight City Hall, but the problem with the modern regulatory state is it's turned each one of these administrative agencies into its own City Hall, essentially. And it, it becomes extremely difficult and you're always fighting an uphill battle against them. And one of the reasons is because if you're in litigation, there's this giant leviathan-sized thumb on the scale uh, in favor of the government's interpretation of the law. And that's what we're trying to get rid of uh, in your case. Absolutely. And I think, like, the other thing that I, you know, um, I noticed was both Justice Kagan and Jackson were talking about, well, you know, ultimately— um, the agencies are part of the executive branch and they're answerable to the president and the president was elected by the people. So this is somehow democratic. And, you know, that argument, you know, I, I don't know really who believes it in legal theory world, but on the ground as a normal human being, a normal citizen of this country, that's absolutely not how it works. You know, as a citizen of this country, your daily life is regulated by government bureaucrats and agencies. They're not regulated by like the political appointee at the top of the agency. You're regulated by people much lower down on the totem pole that are churning out regulations every day. These are people that live in the agencies for their entire careers. They're not elected and they're not appointed. You and know, they've never tried to make a dollar in the private sector many co times. Correct. Correct. And, you know, like in NOAA itself, I know um, – you know, the regulatory agency that's that's at stake in this case, they have one political appointee. There's one for the whole agency. So that's it. You know, you don't have like multiple people at multiple levels of this agency that are political appointees. You have one. And all these, these regulations, they're considered non-significant rules. They don't get 
reviewed by the administration. They don't get reviewed by everybody in the agency. You know, these agencies are huge. And I think, you know, simply saying, well, everything is answerable to the president, that's not true. It mischaracterizes the system, and it really mischaracterizes the fact that the administrative state is a behemoth. It is huge, and nobody's reviewing this stuff. It just gets churned out every single day. And if you as a citizen can't fight City Hall in the court, there's no way you win against the agency in its own, you know, in on its own turf. Yeah. And, and you know, I this is the other thing Gorsuch said. He said, uh, you know, these aren't voting issues. He's, when he talked about the people who don't capture and when they – when he, Things go against them. It's not something people vote on. He, I think he's really, he's really hitting that theory hard, and I think we'll see something on that because um, he wasn't buying it at all. Yeah, John wrote a note to me during during the oral argument. <laughs> he's like, that sentence is going to be in his opinion. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. The other thing I the other thing I wrote at the first question I wrote to Mark. I said, I think Gorsuch is on our side. <laughs> he wrote an opinion. He wrote an opinion when he was on the circuit before he was appointed that was all this. He hates it. I mean, it's not a secret. It wasn't like right, right. I didn't divine it out of nowhere, but it is pretty funny. Yeah, he was appointed in large part for being an anti-Chevron guy. I mean, that was that was part of why uh, Don McGahn and, and President Trump picked him, uh, which, which just goes to show your point, Megan. I mean, they were deliberately trying to pick judges for the federal courts that were anti-Chevron, and yet... In the Trump administration is when this rule issued, and so you know, to your to your point, there these things are happening at a level that it, this isn't a hundred million dollar rule. It never reached OIRA. Naomi Rao never looked at this. You know when she was no. the head of of that agency before she went to the D.C. Circuit. And just for you, so there is one part of the White House that gets to look at regulations and then comment whether they they comply with the law, but they don't all go there. And that's and OIRA is the organization that does that. And Naomi Rao is now on the D.C. Circuit, but she used to run that outfit. Yeah. And so, you know, if it's a $100 million rule, then they'll look at it. But they're, they're not looking at every single rule or regulation that issues. So to your point, you, you do have all these unaccountable bureaucrats issuing regulations that affect the lives of everyday people. The other fact that came out that, that I thought was significant and that I, I, you know, I didn't, it's not like I saw a justice raise their eyebrows or anything when this was said, but the fact that that this costs more, that the $700 a day to pay these monitors costs more than the crew is making uh, a lot of times uh, on these boats, I think is something that is an arresting fact. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's funny, um, there's one other fishery where this type of industry funded monitoring has been, you know, in my opinion, obviously illegally imposed in New England in the groundfish fishery. And I know that I've talked to folks in that fishery and they say, yeah, well, you know, they estimated at $710 a day, but we're paying 850 a day, mm. you know? So the costs, you know, you have to pay for their travel time, you're paying for their salary, you're paying for like all these things. Um, and so, yeah, you know, on a herring fishing trip. It adds up. It, it, it certainly does add up. And, and I think just that, that comparison and the idea that somebody would have to pay out of pocket that much for a small business. I don't care what kind of small business it is. That's absolutely ludicrous. Yeah. You know, and I tell people all the time, if they can do this to us, they can do this to you. And 20, 20% of the profits, I believe, is what is what you had said as well, that the cost of this monitoring. Yeah, yeah. And that, yeah. Was, that, was in the, um, that was in the government's documents. Yeah, it's, they said it. Right, right. So it's not even. So right. 15 seconds left, final takeaway? 
I'm very hopeful. I thought the discussion was really, really good. And I was saying to John earlier, like, I have to go back and re-listen. You know, I can't go wait to go back and re-listen to it slower and kind of see if I can, you know, catch things that I missed before. But um, I am hopeful. I am, I am hopeful. hopeful, too. Good luck. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll keep the audience uh, informed on what happens. Thanks, Megan. Thank you. 